1: Notre Dame fans, welcome to another edition of Irish Breakdown Podcast. We missed you all yesterday, so we're back today with two shows. The first show is going to be about the Notre Dame wide receivers and tight ends hanging, heading into spring ball tonight, Ryan. We're going to watch some film, and if that dude looks familiar but doesn't look like you were expecting to see, obviously that's not Vince. That is Ryan Roberts, our director of recruiting at uh, Irish Breakdown. Vince D'Addario got booted out of his, uh, his dungeon. He's uh, on a work release program from his cell at, uh, at his high school. And so he, we just he could not just kind of being funny, but uh, basically where he was today, this his connection wasn't good. And so we just couldn't get it going. Uh, so Vince is producing today and you guys are stuck with me and Ryan. So Vince will hopefully be back tomorrow. I think he said he should be back and good to go tomorrow. So we'll have plenty to talk about tomorrow. So Ryan's going to join us today to talk receivers and tight ends. And Ryan, I think the thing for me, there's a lot of new at Notre Dame right now. I mean, when it comes to this position group, you've got, you know, two new position coaches and Jared Parker at tight ends and Chancey Stuckey at wide receivers. You've lost, you know, another, you've lost it. You're going to have to replace your leading pass catcher at wide receiver for, I believe this is going to be the fifth straight season, right? So 18, 19, 20, 21, and now 22, they've lost their, their top pass catcher at wide receiver from the previous season. So there's that's going to part is going to be new obviously and you lost George Takis, who was your number 2 tight end so there's a lot of uncertainty at the receiver position but also Ryan I think a lot of talent and and I think that's the the very interesting thing about this group and we decided to do receivers and tight ends together because whenever we have the conversation last year about who's the alpha going to be a receiver we're always like uh it's Michael Mayer <laughs> you know what i mean like so like hey looks makes sense to kind of bring these guys together especially with how we think the tight ends are going to be used this season, that it's going to even be more so Inner, you know, uh, sort of uh, the receivers and tight ends are going to have to be on the same page a lot. So we decided to do them together. But I think the thing, the, the way that I would describe it, Ryan, is the receiver slash tight end room has a lot of talent and tons of potential, but also has arguably the smallest margin for error on the offense, if not the entire team in regards to, because of some issues that have happened in the past and some injuries and injuries being more so at tight end than receiver, because tight end has a lot of numbers. It's just a, some injuries that, that because of the receiver, I mean, issues that, that you're, you're they're in a position where they can't afford to have a combination of things go wrong, whether it be an, in, a couple of injuries, whether it be an injury and someone not panning out, whether it be, whatever the case may be, the The margin for error for this to be a really good group and a group that has some ability but is not good enough to really be like that championship caliber group is really thin. And that's going to be the biggest thing. And this spring is going to tell us a lot about are we going to see the, the production this year or are we still going to be talking about potential when we're having this conversation a year from now?
2: Yeah. I find it really interesting too, because I want to see what the offense is going to look like. Cause we saw at Oklahoma state specifically schematically, like traditionally over the last few years, that boundary wide receiver has kind of been the big mainstay as far as a true wide receiver position, but we saw a lot more RPO action in that, in that system. You're seeing a lot the slots get involved a lot more. Lorenzo style had a big, uh, had a bunch of big plays off the RPO action. So I find it interesting, Brian. I really want to see, especially with, with what Tyler Buckner brings to the quarterback position potentially, I feel like we might see a little bit of a shift in ideology as far as how this offense is going to run. And obviously, I mean that, that boundary position still with guys like Deion Coles here is is going to be paramount for the mm-hmm. for the offense. But seeing if, like, hey, are we going to get more just like quick hitters, arrow routes off off of the RPO action? Are we going to get some more screens? Like if, if are we going to see kind of a shift. And how this offense is formatted. That's really what I want to see. And then, like right. you said, we know who Michael Mayer is, but without a guy like a George Takis, at part of those two tight end sets, potentially, Kane Barong was a guy people are excited about. Obviously, he's gonna be working back from an injury in, you know going into the fall. We have guys like Mitchell Evans, who played a, a decent amount as a freshman, but is unproven as the second guy. We have guys, you know, that were excited about but there are some question marks but I really just want to see structurally speaking right. how does this offense look under Tommy Reese from a wide receiver perspective and I think that we will see not the full scope of it in the spring but I think we'll start to see a little bit of that implementation in the spring what
1: are what what we see remains to be known I mean we're only going to get five practices one full practice that's it we're not going to get a chance to see a lot I will say this I think what happens this spring is going to go a long way towards determining what Tommy Reese thinks he can do with his offense. Sure. And, you know, look, we, we, we're, we'll we get into a lot of things, you know, whether or not the injured players come back healthy. That includes tight ends and receivers. You know, if, is Avery Davis going to be 100% back to full speed or is he going to be at 90? Uh, 90% of Avery Davis isn't, isn't as a, a guy that you're going to be as comfortable with going out and making plays against Ohio State and Clemson and teams like that, which we know Avery can do because he's already proven that, right? At 100%, he's proven that. You talk about tight end position, you know, obviously with with Cain Barong coming back from injury. Scott, Eli Raritan has an injury in December that, you know, that raises doubts about when he's going to be back to full speed and healthy. And then, of course, you know, Mitchell Evans being that guy that has a lot of potential and the staff. I mean, people at Notre Dame, we haven't seen it because we, we've we seen him. We've seen barely any practices since he's arrived. He was just used as kind of a blocker when he got in at times last year. But I've talked to people at Notre Dame, and it's not just one person, that they say this kid has day two NFL draft potential. I said, like, oh, that's okay. That's interesting. Like, let's see that. Now, again, I'm not disputing that because we haven't seen the kid. Mm-hmm. He's already proven to be better than I thought he was going to be, which is which I love. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's just like this kid was a quarterback as a senior. I didn't know what to expect from the kid. Yeah. But what's he gonna be? Is he gonna be ready? Cause he was kind of put in a position last year where he didn't necessarily earn playing time as mm-hmm. much as he had to play because of the injuries at tight end because Kevin Bauman was hurting you know, when they needed to go to a third tight end, it was like, who are you going to put in? It's two freshmen, right? And it's not a shot at Mitchell Evans. It's just that, like, it was just a different situation that got him onto the field. So, you know, does Braden Lindsey kind of do what he needs to do? I mean, there's just so many questions around there to determine, do you have three receivers? Do you have five, six receivers where you can say, hey, we're going to run a lot of 11 personnel? Or do you say, hey, look, we don't necessarily have as much faith in our number two and number three tight end as we've had the last couple of years. So, you know, we can't do as much 12 personnel. A lot of that's going to be determined by, I think a lot of it is going to be determined by what we see this spring, because there's not a ton of reinforcements coming at wide receiver. You're going to have Avery Davis and Tobias Merriweather added, right? Mm -hmm. Those are two really good football players, but it's like, it doesn't necessarily, if like all your other guys aren't playing or, or hurt, it doesn't necessarily move the needle. Tight end should be interesting when some guys come back. Sure. But receiver, it's so it's I think you need to get some questions answered this spring. I think that's a big thing. And I think some of these tight ends that are getting an opportunity because of other injuries, some of these receivers who are going to get playing time because of the lack of depth at the position, it's either going to be a huge bonus or it's going to expose them as just not quite ready yet. And I think those are the big questions that I have about this group coming into the spring. And, you know, Ryan, there's kind of three objectives if you're the Notre Dame coaching staff. The Notre Dame coaching staff's gonna have three objectives coming into this into the spring. And to in, in my opinion, this is just as this offensive unit when it comes to the receivers and tight ends. Number one, we need to see improved technique at wide receiver, right? We've talked a lot about it. It's needed. You have to have it. It's so important. If you're gonna beat the best teams on the schedule, you can't just go out talent people to 10-11 wins this year like you have in the past. There's gonna be enough teams on the schedule that can beat you this year that weren't on the schedule last year or the year before, really. I mean, there was one team the last two years that honestly was on Notre Dame's level from a talent standpoint, and that was Clemson two years ago, right? Cincinnati was not, with all due respect. They had a couple guys that were there, but as a team, they should not have done to Notre Dame what they did. It's, can your receivers play with the the same level of technique that we see at Ohio State, that we see at Alabama, that we see at some of those other top programs? Number two is a second tight end has to emerge. And yes, they will get reinforcements this summer when Kane Barong finally gets back to being healthy. Holden Stace will show up this summer. Eli Raridan we expect to be back sometime early in the fall because he was injured in November. So, you know, it's usually like a six to eight month thing with a knee. Sometimes it can take eight to nine months, but that gets him right into September. So we should see him at some point in time this season. But again, true freshman coming off a knee injury. If if, a sec- if they don't feel like they at least have a second tight end coming out of the spring between the two guys in the competition, that's going to be problematic and concerning for them. And then the third piece is we know we know there's one certainty at, at this skill group, Ryan, and that's Michael Mayer. And we'll talk about him in a second. But somebody has to step up and be his complement. You know, Kevin Austin was that at times last year. They need someone that can kind of step up and say, hey, look, you can't just worry about taking Michael Mayer out of the game. Right, You're going to have to worry about me, because I'm going to tell you something right now. Ohio State, their game plan in the opener is going to be 87's not beating us, because nobody else on that offense has proven. 87 is a dude. We're going to make sure he doesn't beat us. So right away, this group and the running back group is going to get put to the test and say, oh, Ohio State's going to dare you to beat them. They're going to dare you to beat them. Go make them pay for it because they're not going to let 87 beat them. And if they do let 87 beat them, then they're coached even worse than they've been in the last few years, which is not a good sign because they have not been coached well on defense since Jeff Hathley left. So somebody's going to have to step up. And ideally, more somebodies. And that's the other thing is like you want more somebodies to kind of step up. But you need at least one guy, I think, to step up and say, hey, look, teams have to game plan for that guy every game. I think there's a lot of candidates, Ryan, but somebody has to do it. So those are sort of the three objectives that we have, that Notre Dame has coming into. Hopefully that they need to meet during the spring, coming out of the spring, heading into the summer.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: Yeah, I think it's paramount for two different ways as far as the Michael Mayer usage, right? Like you said, early on, they're gonna be like, we have like that's the guy you have to stop. All American tight end, future first round, first round pick, six five, two fifty plus, like you have to stop that dude. But then after that, not only do you need someone to take the pressure off of him, if you're able to get that much pressure onto yourself now, where like you might be the guy, like if Lorenzo Mm -hmm. Styles is now on his course to like let's say a thousand yard receiving season. Then all of a sudden, Michael Mayer is the guy that's getting one-on-one situations. Right. Like you have to force teams into bad situations, right. right? And I'm really interested to see Mitchell Evans, like you said. Just I, I don't know why when you were describing that you know they were higher on him day two type player. But I just started thinking like, is this like a Troy Nicholas thing about to happen right now, man? Is he is he about to take like that extension to being mm-hmm. a player where you're just kind of like you know, oh, kind of you know a, a nice player, more of an athlete type type. But then he takes a step forward to that type of level, which would be interesting. But the wide receiver unit, man, I, I like I I said, a lot of very talented football players. Lorenzo Styles, everybody knows how big of a fan I am of him. Brayden Lindsay could do some stuff after the catch that I think is going to be explosive. And I think you can use him in a lot of different ways. Expecting a big break, breakout for Deion Colsey. I think if it's the ideal situation, Brian, like you said, you leave spring. And, you all, and like you said, you don't need – well, let me rephrase. If you're getting Avery Davis back in the fall, right, in theory, you're going to get Tobias Merriweather to come in. If, you're t- if your unit, though, in the spring takes the next step going into the summer and they are some dudes in there that you can depend on, then, hey, getting Avery Davis back, and getting Tobias Merriweather, that becomes icing on the cake rather than a necessity. Like, I don't want those guys to be necessities. I want them to be, wow, now we get to add in even more talent. That's, for me, what needs to be the next step at wide receiver, especially with a first-year starting quarterback, because there's going to be some moments where he's going to make some bad decisions. He's going to put the ball in some bad spots, but you need the wide receivers to be able to be those playmakers where you take some of the pressure off of a young quarterback. You need that step, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. And we could talk about like how the running backs can help and things like that. But at the end of the day, the running backs can only do so much in the pass game to take pressure. I mean, you use them more of a If you're going to do this, we're going to hurt you because we're going to run this screen. Cause you're double teaming him. And you only have a cu- so many of those bullets that you can use against a top team against an Ohio state, against a Clemson, against an Oklahoma, Georgia and Alabama, teams like that. Right. It has to be perimeter players and it doesn't have to be, The one thing I want to be clear to me, it doesn't have to be a guy that's like, you know, a Will Fuller, a 70 catch, a thousand yard guy. It doesn't necessarily have to be that. It can be multiple guys that can do damage. And the reason I say that is because in that case, it can be maybe a different guy each week. The way that this team is defending us is going to set up a big week for Lorenzo Styles or Braden Lindsay or Deion Colsey or Avery Davis. And then how the next week, how a team is defending you. It it allows you to do, you know, get some matchups with another player. But the more guys you have that can create problems. Look, if if they're gonna focus their coverage, because there's let's be honest, there's nobody in the country that I'm that I'm aware of that I look at and say that guy can go get put on Michael Mayer one-on-one and just take him out of the game. I, I don't think that guy exists if Michael Mayer's playing his game, right? So you're gonna have to put some sort of effort into having a plan for him. And when you're going to do that, so at least one guy is going to kind of have a favorable one-on-one type of matchup. Right. And, and even in zone, you're going to have that because if they're bracketing him with multiple players, then, you know, if there's a, let's say he's running like an outcut and then they're kind of playing him, you know, the corners, you know, the corners kind of playing, like anytime mayor breaks out, you jump that out cut. And then there's a linebacker kind of taking him. Well, whoever's running that vertical routes in a one-on-one with that deep quarter safety, or that deep half safety, or that, you know, the the middle free safety, whatever the case may be. So there's, there's still going to be one-on-ones who can step up and exploit those one-on- one opportunities. And for me, I think you need to have more of those guys emerge. However, Ryan, a big key to this is Michael Mayer has to continue to grow his game. And it's not so much, His his development for me is I think there's room for him to refine himself as a route runner, which Mm -hmm. I think you expect from a kid who's only a sophomore. Like right. Like he may look like a grown freaking man that looks like a third year NFL player, but he was just a true sophomore in college last year. Right. Like his game isn't going to be a finished product, especially for a kid like Michael Mayer, because a lot of people forget Michael Mayer was a three time first team all state defensive player in high school. So he wasn't just playing tight end. He wasn't just going on camp circuits playing tight end. He was a linebacker and he played D end in his last year. And and so he's still developing his game. He's advanced for his age. But when you project to be like that guy, there's still room for him to continue improving. It's not a ton. There's room for him to improve as a blocker. It's just about with any young player that, that uh, achieves success. It's you've got to still be hungry for the next level. And that because some players look, and I'm not saying this specifically about Michael Mayer, this is just a concern, yeah, for any young player that has a lot of success early. Is is he kind of have that I've arrived moment, or is it like, yeah, that was good, but I want more. I remember interviewing Jeremiah Wusu the summer between his, you know, his 2020 and 2021 seasons. And I'm having this interview with him, and you know, it was it was a Zoom interview that we weren't using for it was just that was the only way we could communicate. And I'm sitting there, Liz talk, and I'm like trying to praise him and, like, you know, hey, you did a great job of this. And he would never answer my questions because he would always turn it back to, yeah, but I don't really see it that way. Like, I don't think I played that well. Here's the mistake I made. Yeah, okay, yeah, I had a lot of tackles against Iowa State, but here's three or four things that, you know, could have hurt us, you know, that I didn't do right. And you're just like, and it wasn't fake, right? It was like, it was genuine, like, no, I, that's not good enough. And then you come out in the next year, and he's an even better player than he was the year before because he was hungry to be, be, to be great to be the best. I think Michael Mayer has that same attitude, but we need to see it because there's still some parts of his game need to improve. The other part is not just him improving, but I want to see how the staff is going to use him more because I think that's something too, because the more you can move him around effectively and have packages for him, as an attached tight end to the field, as an attached tight end to the boundary, as a wing tight end, as a movement tight end, as a flex tight end, as a slot tight end, as an outside guy—those are all different ways you can line him up. But lining him up there doesn't necessarily impact defenses as much as lining him up there, then having effective stuff to utilize in the pass game out of those formations. Right, that's going to be the key. So I think that's another piece to this spring: is how does his game grow? Plus, how does his usage usage develop? From a coaching standpoint, that's going to be another really interesting piece of this because he's got to be that guy to then take some of that you have to be the alpha pressure off the other guys, in my opinion. Yeah.
2: Well, and I think it's a dictating of matchups, right? Because I always I always think of like how the LA Rams, for instance, and obviously not every team has a Jalen Ramsey, so like this is not to say that every team you're going against is going to have just this stud defensive back that can work inside and out, do all types of things, but Jalen Ramsey will literally. Hey, Travis Kelsey's the uh, objection uh, object this week, right? Like you have to stop Travis Kelsey this week. It's Devonte Adams. You have to shadow him, and obviously, it's not always going to happen like that. But either way, whether you have that ability to shadow a player or not. It's the ability to create matchups, right? Mm-hmm. And it, w- when you are a defense that can dictate, when you're an offense, excuse me, that can dictate matchups, when you can create those matchups yourself, that's where you're so much more successful. Because, I mean, you can literally have your best defender follow Michael Mayer if that's the only player. You have to worry about if you're doing a bracket coverage. If you're doing this, you can roll things no matter where he's lined up to your points. But if you have a Lorenzo Styles take a big, a big step, and Avery Davis come back and take a next step, if you have a guy like a Deion Colsey take the next step, then that gives the ability to dictate those matchups and you can create your own matchups. And I think that's mm. the biggest, biggest thing for me <laughs> is that you need options because it can't just be as cut as dry as. Michael Mayer is the best player, and then there's a huge drop-off. to two and three are. You need multiple playmakers, and you need to have them all over the place because, or else you're going to become very – that's how you become one-dimensional. That's how you become predictive. Even if you're a guy – even if you're a team that is has the ability to take Michael Mayer and put him in different spots, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that you aren't still predictable because you right. still know where the ball is going. That doesn't right. necessarily mean that you're like this big – Creative offense, and oh man, everything's moving around. You still know who the number one option is no matter where you're lining up. If you have guys that can do multiple things and take that pressure off, that's where the creativity comes
1: from. From Tommy Reese, because there's two things you do with moving Michael, moving Michael May around achieves two objectives. Your play calls are going to achieve two two objectives. Number one, you're going to look at it and say, Okay, how are we going to try to find ways to get him the ball? You got to find ways to get him the ball no matter what they're doing, and then number two. You have to say, okay, if they're going to do this, how can we use him to manipulate the coverage to open somebody else up? Those are going to be the keys. Thoughts on that, Ryan? I got to go shut up my dogs. Sorry. (laughs) No, you're fine. Yeah, um, I I think,
2: again, that the the biggest thing for when you're trying to create those matchups for Michael Mayer specifically, like Brian was just trying to indicate, is that you're trying to, first and foremost, create the ability to find Michael Mayer in a variety of ways. You are trying to make him the number one option. You're trying to find creative ways to get him mm-hmm. open. But in order to find creative ways to get him open, it's not always just about alignment. It's about the other things around him to take the pressure off of him. And then the next step, like you said, and what we were going to say, I right. should say is that next you're trying to use him almost as a right. and trying to scheme other guys.
1: Right. You're going to do that at times, right? Like, look, if they're going to, and I've talked about this in, in in the past with the, we had a situation where we were playing a team and, and we had three great receivers and they just said, Hey, this one dude's not going to beat us. And then that game, he had three catches for six yards, but we destroyed that team and threw for well over 300 yards because we were able to then move him around where we wanted him to manipulate where that coverage was going to go. So we could then create opportunities in other places. And I think that's where you're going to see a lot of the, the really exciting stuff from Tommy Reese is not just oh, look at how well he did a good job of getting Michael Mayer open. That's going to be important, right? Like, that's a very important thing. You can't use the excuse of, well, they just, you know, and Brian Kelly would do this, right? Well, they just took so-and-so out of the game. Well, F that. you got to figure out ways to get him going, right? you got to find out ways Mm -hmm. to say, okay, fine, then we're going to run a screen to him or we're going to do something to him to try to take advantage of that. You've got to get him the ball. But you also can't be so driven to force-feeding him the ball that you then miss out on the opportunities to take advantage of what they're doing to him which is hey look i know that the way that they're looking at him if we run him on a post route or run him right down the middle of the field from a mm-hmm. slot formation they are going to send both safeties on him so here's what we're going to do out of that or if he's in a if he's in this alignment And he runs a drag route, they're going to have like three guys basically eyeing him. So we can do some other things to manipulate that. We can maybe do like a throwback or something like that. Like, you know, hey, run Michael Mayer on a drag route. So that backside linebacker kind of runs with him. They kind of lose our running back who we're going to put to the right. Okay. And because they once like, so it's like this I have my tight end to the left and my running back to my right. Okay. And I know that that backside linebacker, when if the back is over here and we run the tight end on a cross, that guy's going to be, keying on mayor the whole time if we have back and tied into the same side that guy's gonna have to also see my back so what you do is you put your back opposite he steps up and then slips out the back side right and now he's open right those are the kind of things you need to be able to evaluate on film of how they play it so that if we use mayor here here's some opportunities based on how they cover him that we can open up some of those opportunities for Avery Davis or Brayden Lindsay or the running backs or Lorenzo Styles and the running backs and so that's going to be the fun part about it. But it all begins with Mayer has to go out and continue to prove, like even if teams are focused on stopping him, he still has to prove that he can go make those plays. And I think one part of his game I'd like to see evolve a little bit is being able to win those contested throws down the field. And he mm-hmm. won one against Virginia, and he didn't come down with one against, Virginia, against Oklahoma State. We didn't mm-hmm. see him get a ton of those opportunities, like we saw Mike Tyler Eifer get a ton of those in 2012. I think that's an area I'd like to see kind of Michael Mayer be given opportunities Is hey, we're going to get you into this combination where they're going to have one guy on you. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to make step up and make those plays in those situations. And I think he has it in him. Sure. I think he just needs an opportunity to do it more. And now he had a really good, according to pro football focus who Ryan, I think you'd agree with me, their evaluation and their, some of their stuff is like just terrible, but they're good at data collection. So sure. I think that's an area where they they shine. His his contested catch rate was really impressive. Like it was at well over 50%. He had mm-hmm. one of the higher number of contested catches, but it's contested catches on like the short intermediate stuff is really where his contested contested catches were coming. There weren't a ton of downfield contested catches. But as we saw against Virginia, he can make some sick catches on on throws downfield. And the one against Oklahoma State was as much about good defense. I mean the guy just did a great job. Mayor had it and the guy just knocked it out. Sure. Right. So I want to see him get more of those chances because those are going to be a part of it. You're you're, you're it's going to be hard to get him where he's just wide open. Mm-hmm. Especially early in the season, but you can manipulate him in a way to where you can at least maybe get a one-on-one and he's mm-hmm. got to be able to make those plays in those instances. So, yeah. Mayor not- being the alpha is going to be a, a key part of this whole thing.
2: Yeah, it's not all. It's not all going to be like that. What was that Florida State play, right where he just leaked out wide open? Yeah, nobody covered him. It was like, blown
1: coverage. Yeah, like yeah. For his first yeah. drive of the game, he runs a corner route and like nobody covers him, and it's like <laughs> that may happen. That see that'll happen against like bad teams, right? You can't anticipate that happening against Ohio State or Clemson or Georgia or Alabama. It's it's you got to earn it. Yeah. Now, if those teams make mistakes, you make them pay, and that's the mm-hmm. thing we did see with Michael Mayer and and this offense last year's. Tommy Reese did as good of a job as I've seen of an offensive coordinator in a long time of if you're going to make a mistake, whether it be not so an execution standpoint, because you can't always predict that. But if you're going to make a mistake from a an execution standpoint or a game plan standpoint or a matchup standpoint, I'm going to find it and I'm going to go at it. And he did a really nice job with that last year. And I'm, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do now in year two uh, or year three as a coordinator with, I believe, his fastest group yet. And that's the thing I think this is going to be his most explosive group of pass catchers that he's had that Notre Dame has had since 2015 uh, in Mm -hmm. the starting lineup. And I would argue there's more depth of those kind of guys in this group. Yeah. And we saw what that 2015 offense could do with all that speed.
2: Absolutely. And I I think the thing that really excites me too, Brian, just to kind of have a final word on Michael Mayer for a second is that like you said, it's not perfect right now. It's absolutely not like the route running can improve, but then you still see Mm -hmm. some, plays man where he just snaps it off and you're like oh it's there yes (laughs) oh it's it's absolutely there yeah it's there i mean i've seen him win i mean there's there's three ways in my opinion to win as a separator right one is as a route runner which you see the snap and you see the instant separation there one is just as an athlete being able to run Mm. past guys or just you know quickness out whatever out of the stem that stuff can be more natural than it is a separation because of a route runner the the, we've seen michael mayer do that plenty of times number three is the one that you just illustrated. Being able to elevate and win at the catch point, that is a form of separation. That is absolutely a form of separation. And I think people just kind of think like, wow, oh, he uncovered deep. That's the only way you separate. Nope, that's not right. the only way you separate. There's multiple ways. If we have to get a more consistent approach from Michael Mayer to win in all three mm-hmm. ways there, in all multiple right. levels, then you're talking about, hey, you have – Braden Lindsay, who can absolutely fly and will take advantage mm-hmm. of one-on-one matchups, who has shown the ability to uncover deep, just needs mm-hmm. to win and you know consistently finish, I should say. Right. Lorenzo Styles has shown the ability to win at multiple levels. There has been the flashes there. It's just now about the consistency factor, and I mean. Obviously, coaching is a big part of that wide receiver conversation, right? Like, it needs to be much more consistent. Winning at the line of scrimmage, mm-hmm. winning off of press, creating separation out of your stem. Like, there's a lot of things that can that can go to that level. But I do think it all starts with Michael Mayer taking that next step. Even though he's already a great football player, but I think it's a compliment to him to say he can get right. even better, which is fantastic.
1: I think I think the bowl game was a good example of that, Ryan. That combination of him working himself open and Notre Dame scheming him to get open, because Oklahoma State's game plan was 87 is not going to beat us. I mean, they tried their best to make sure he didn't beat them, and that's partly why Notre Dame had three other guys go over 100 yards in that game. You know, Tyree went over 50, 100 yards, Kevin Austin went over 100 yards, and Lorenzo Styles went over 100 yards. But Michael Mayer still had seven catches for like 76 yards and two touchdowns. He still made his presence felt. And it was it was the combination of those two things. It was you you were able to scheme him into a couple situations where you could get him in one on ones. But then in those one on ones, for example, the the first touchdown, the drag route, he just outran the guy. I mean, he just he stemmed him up and then snapped it across, which is part route running. But then just outran the guy. And even though they had a plan, it just it didn't matter because Michael Mayer is still going to get his. Uh, and but that's the key. He was he that was one of the best games I've seen from Michael Mayer even though his production wasn't great. Now, I would have liked to see him come down with that one wheel route that that got broken up. But again, I sometimes you have to be able to tip your cap and say, that guy made a really good play on the ball, right? The defensive player made a good play. It happens sometimes, you know, but but that was an example of even when you focus on him, he can still hurt you if other guys step up. And that's the key because uh, Tyree first played the game, catches a swing route, takes it 20 plus yards. You know, Lorenzo Styles finishes that drive off with a with a post route, blown coverage because they were still they were kind of keying on Michael Mayer, and Lorenzo just beat the guy deep. You know, and then of course they come with a blitz and they hit after then they hit Chris Tyree for a touchdown. It's fourteen not fourteen seven, and you're just like, okay, Michael Mayer hasn't done a darn thing yet, and they just put two scores on the board on us, right? And and that kind of it kind of hurt a little bit at times what they wanted to do at Oklahoma State. So, I think those are the things for that we we kind of got a glimpse of that, and you referenced the Oklahoma State game earlier. Obviously, Notre Dame needs to be able to run the ball better. Uh, They were not going to run the ball that game. We're not saying they should have run the ball more that game. They couldn't. They they were not running on Oklahoma State. They just weren't. Uh, I think this year will be different, but I think that will help as well. But a a thing that I also want to see from them is I want to see more in the pass game out of play action this year. I want to see the play action game get better. And I understand why it couldn't be great last year. And a lot of their play action passes were just kind of like the this the kind of little half-hearted you know, play action. I think that's where we're going to see some of Michael Mayer's big plays because if the run game is what we think it'll be and hope it'll be, that's the great equalizer for you trying to game plan to stop Michael Mayer. Because on a play action, you can't necessarily do both of defend him with multiple guys and have bodies and enough by to stop the run. I think that's where we could see schematically Tommy Reese have some real creative ways – to get Michael Mayer the football down the field.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so those will be interesting to see. So obviously yep. Michael Mayer being the, 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 the alpha is going to be stepping up is going to be a big part of that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's all about attacking leverage, right? Mm-hmm. When you're, when you're an offensive player. So I'm just imagining, I want people to kind of imagine for a second what Brian's talking about. It's like, Hey, Michael Mayer off a of play action, just running. Let's you say like a quick little inside seam route. They're mm-hmm. going to sink the linebacker underneath. They're going to play the safety over top. Well, if that linebacker has to really worry about that run mm-hmm. action, He's going to be late to sinking, which no, gives you no inside left inside yeah. leverage to the play. Or if, if a safety gets frozen and has to you know work over top of something, then you have outside leverage. Right. Uh, offense, football is a pretty easy game, man. It's a numbers game and it's ability to attack leverage. Mm-hmm. That's that's really what it is, and that that's where that that play action game comes into the ability yep. to attack certain leverages.
1: It's funny because when I was a receivers coach, that was the first the first rule of thumb out of the stance was attack his leverage. He's playing you inside. There's a reason if he's playing you outside, there's a reason you need to attack his leverage to either a get him to determine that his leverage at the snap was just a decoy because he's really doing this. And if you don't attack his leverage, then you're not doing that. And then number two is that's how you manipulate a guy as you get to your top end. So, yes. And then as a play caller, play designer, it's how can we gain leverage in numbers or leverage in sort of an alignment standpoint? It's all leverage is a huge part of football. Uh, from a play calling standpoint and from an execution of that play calling with your technique. And okay. so those are the things is, like you said, if the run game is legitimately good, it's really hard to defend a good, well-designed and well-executed play action pass so when hard. you have a guy like a Michael Mayer. Yep. And and that's going to be the key. And, and And then you talk about the speed that's running around him. That's the other piece of this is, in the past, when Notre Dames had bigger tight ends, a lot of times they've kind of had a bigger group of receivers around him. you know, and I think mm-hmm. one of the things that 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 should help this team is Michael Mayer is going to have the benefit of having a lot of speed around him, completely different skill sets around him. and and I think that that could benefit him depending on how the offense goes. And to your point, Ryan, it's about the usage. And one thing about that is if Notre Dame is crushing teams, with the RPOs and the quick games and the perimeter screens, you have to start cheating your linebacker out, which then opens up those option routes and those that it's that short to intermediate stuff for Michael Mayer. And that's where it starts to get fun. So but, Ryan, I think that also includes you have to have other guys step up and make plays, because if you're just going to consistently throw RPOs and my guys are catching it getting tackled at five yards, I'm not I'm not uh, that sorry. That's not making me get off of my Michael Mayer plan. Right. Yep there's there so so the receivers have stepped up so as we kind of talk about the receivers there's two veterans ryan that have a chance this spring to kind of really establish themselves into important roles and that is brayden lindsey who we expected and then Mm -hmm. joe wilkins who we didn't necessarily expect to be in that role because we were unsure if joe wilkins is going to be 100 by the time spring came around because he did get injured in october and so spring was kind of at the very beginning of when he might start kind of coming back and so he he's coming back 100 which was a big surprise so to me those two guys and we'll get into the young guys but those two guys have to step up this can't be just the sophomores those two guys provide some unique things and and let's begin with brayden lindsey i i don't know if there's a player on the roster you could make this case Mm-hmm. From just a position coach standpoint, his position coach. So, like I've argued that the guy that's going to benefit the most from the from the overall coaching changes is Chris Tyree, not because, but not because of Coach McCullough. And this is no shot at Coach McCullough. It's more about it's because of Harry Heastand. That's not his position coach. I'm talking about who's going to benefit the most from a the, their specific position coach. I think a case could be made that it's going to be Bray. It could be Brayden Lindsey. The reason I say that is is because Brayden Lindsay is a really dynamic player athletically we've seen it. I mean, we've seen him do it on the field. This isn't just like, well, we saw him at this one practice. We've seen him do it on the field, right? Against power five teams, USC, you know, Georgia tech, it's not Georgia tech, uh, Stanford. We've seen him do it against, um, I'm trying to remember uh, Boston college. We've seen him do it, you know, against Nate a ranked Navy team, not power five, but a ranked Navy team in 2019. We've seen flashes of it, but it's been a while 2020 due to injury this year. It's because, Teams kind of figured out with Brayden Lindsay. Number one, they aren't running a bunch of reverses and stuff to him. They did a couple later in the year and he had a 30-something yard gain on it, but they just weren't doing that. They used him as a pure receiver this year. And the problem with that is Brayden Lindsay doesn't know how to play the game. He was never taught how to play the game in it from a technical standpoint. So what teams were doing, Ryan, is they were just coming down and beating him up at the line of scrimmage and mm-hmm. saying we're gonna we're gonna be physical with him and we're gonna beat him up, and he's not gonna be able to outrun us enough by the time the, the ball comes out to be able to make that play. And so there were plenty of times this year where Brayden Lindsay was coming open that deep a lot of times, but it was always a second later than it should be because he got beat up at the line. And the result was the quarterback had already gone away from that because he was getting roughed up. And, sure. you know, so it's, it's, he, he, he was such a raw, I mean, you've seen the all 22. We've both seen it. He's uh-huh. such a raw route runner, even for a senior. That it just, it's kind of an embarrassment to the position coach that it was that that was the case. One of the things we had in our Intel piece on offense a couple of weeks ago was that receiver that when I just asked a, 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 a source, I said, Hey, you're talking to me about receiver. It was the first name he brought up. He's like, He's having a phenomenal offseason. And so I'm talking about how hard he's because that's the big thing is Braden, does Braden want it? You know, and, and he was working hard and and all those type of things. But that's a guy that Chansey Stuckey has kind of taken as a project. Like, I got to get this guy going because Braden has the tools to be a dynamic player but it's important for him Ryan, because he he doesn't have like supernatural hands so he's going to have to have some of those openings where he's catching the ball with space and when you're not a good route runner against the good teams you're just not going to be put in those situations and and so mm-hmm. that's a guy that for me Chancey Stuckey is going to earn his paycheck or not beginning with that guy and right. he is a big big key because Brayden Lindsay will never be a in my opinion a 60 plus catch guy just I don't think that's who he is it doesn't have to be no I mean Justin Ross had a huge impact on Clemson in 2018 I mean a huge impact like he was a huge huge part of that offense he was a just an absolute monster and all those type of things I'm not comparing him to Justin Ross just follow me here he caught 46 <laughs> passes that's it mm-hmm. in 15 games but he had a thousand yards, right? you know, because right. he averaged 21.7 yards a care, a catch. I'm not saying Braden Lindsay is Justin Ross. I'm simply making the point that if you use him correctly, he doesn't need 70 catches to have a game changing impact. He can have three or four a game yeah. and be, and have a game changing impact. And so to me, he's got to put in the work this off season, but they also have to do two things as coaches, teach him how to play, and, and and say, hey, look, we have to find ways to get Brayden Lindsay the football in different ways every single game, whether he's playing 20 snaps or 50 snaps. Brayden Lindsay's not getting touches. That's on us at this point in time as coaches.
2: Yeah, I've been calling for the Brayden Lindsey breakout for a few years here, right? And it, you still have hope, though, and it sounds silly going into his fifth year, right? But, like, you still have hope because, like you said – the natural athleticism is easy to see. Like you can't teach that stuff. It's the stuff that you can teach that just has not been on par to this moment, right? Mm-hmm. So you have hope that Brayden Lindsey can take that jump. And I do believe that he really can because if Brayden Lindsay takes that step, you know that he can do the gadget stuff. You know that you can work and reverse in and end around in. You know you can give a jet sweep occasionally. You could do all those types of things. But also RPO action – big time for me man like mm-hmm. getting this guy in space early because you mentioned the hands right like he's never going to be a guy that is a contested catch right. type of dude not I mean, a he's lot going to be that yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he's I mean, got he just, a couple
1: just, you know the Cincinnati right. game but there's a lot right. more that he didn't catch than, right. than well, that one
2: Correct. he's just got a smaller frame and he's it's right. just not his it's not his game right. and that's fine you don't have to be a contested catch guy but if you are a guy that can uncover deep which he can it's we've seen mm-hmm. it he can uncover deep. He can run after the catch. So he tells me that he can work the RPO game and he can be that gadget, dude. If you get just, a, I, I want to say even modest improvement as a route runner, you just create a mm-hmm. little bit of separation. Yeah. I think he could have a huge impact. If he takes right. a huge step forward, then Brayden Lindsay could be the surprise star of the team this year. Like he yeah. could be the second lead receiver on this team. He could right. be that type of yardage wise. Right. Yards, yeah, not right. not as a volume receiver. I'm talking about a right. guy that, hey, he had 85 yards this game, but he only had three catches, right? Like he's got that type of game breaking right. ability. So, right. and they they need that element because I think Lorenzo Styles gives you some home run ability, but outside of that, you got a bunch of vo- more of guys that I think are closer to volume guys than than breakaway yes. type of dudes. Yes. So you yes. need that speed element on your
1: offense. Michael Mayer's a volume guy. Uh, sure. You know, Deion Col- Coles a volume. It doesn't mean that those guys can't hit big plays. It's it's not a criticism. It just means that's just more of where their game is. And and you know, when you look at a guy like Braden Lindsey, for example, and, and you talked about Lorenzo Styles, Ryan, and I think that's a big one for me because when I look at Lorenzo Styles, I say, yeah, I think Lorenzo Styles can be a home run player. I think Lorenzo Styles, and we'll get into him here in a little bit more, but I also think Lorenzo Styles can be a guy that can be a volume guy. I think he can be an every down. Pass catcher. I think he can do both of those things. However, especially as a sophomore, I don't know if I want to go into the season with with Lorenzo Styles having to be sort of that put the offense or the receiving core on your shoulders kind of guy. I don't know if I necessarily want him doing that. And so to me, it's about can you can you take some of the pressure off of him? And so, you know, Avery Davis should be able to help do that in the fall, but you know, you're not going to have Avery Davis this spring. and, And we're we're kind of focusing on the spring. So this spring, it's about okay, a guy like Braden Lindsay steps up and and he can be sort of that take the top off the defense guy then what that does with you in in, in Lorenzo Styles is that gives you so many more options with what you can do with Lorenzo Styles so if, if Michael Mayer is what he is and Brayden Lindsay is what we think he can be which is that that stretch the field just do things where you're doing one of three things of Brayden Bray Lindsay one is you're having him stretch the field Number two is you get him in sort of chase routes. And I love Braden Lindsay in chase routes, you know, drags, crossers, things like that. And number three is just getting him the ball behind the line of scrimmage, whether it be screens, reverses, or jets, right? If you're doing those things with Braden Lindsay and he's able to take the top off the defense, then that allows you with Lorenzo Styles. And Ryan, the point that I'm making is that Lorenzo Styles can be that stretch the field guy, but he's more of, an, he's more of a volume guy, in my opinion. That you can do a lot of different things with. And so if Braden can be that 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 vertical player that teams have to respect, now all of a sudden you can now utilize Lorenzo's speed on a lot of different things. You can really use him on the crossers, the drags. I think a guy whose game, I and I'm not saying he's as good of a player. So just hear me on this. But how you can use him, in my opinion, is a lot like how Alabama used Devontae Smith in 2020. Meaning, again, not the same player. I'm comparing their usage, meaning Devonte would play slot. He'd play outside field. He'd play outside boundary. He could stretch the field, but a lot of Devontae's big plays were on stuff across the field where somebody else was taking the top off and he was coming underneath and on a drag and a deep cross, right? And so I think those are things that Lorenzo, because he is a good route runner, you know, he kind of gets across, get vertical, stem that guy up and then snap him out. Now you're out running him. As as Braden Lindsay's taking the top off one side, Michael Mayer with a wheel route's taking the top off the other side. So I think those things aren't as effective, however, if you don't have another legitimate deep threat to take the pressure off. And that's where Braden Lindsay comes into effect. Where that's the thing is if if Braden's in the game and he only touches it three times, that doesn't mean he only impacted the game three times. If he if he proves himself to be a legitimate big play guy. Now, all of a sudden, when he does a jet sweep, you're a little bit more nervous about it. When he does run a post route, you got to pay a little bit more attention to it. When you do have him in cover one out there, you may have to think, hey, we may not want to come press here because the last time we pressed him, he beat this guy. And then, Because like, here's the thing, if Braden Lindsay learns how to beat a press, he will crush people. Because if he beats you off the line, you have no chance. None. He will just run by you. And, and it just, he didn't know how to beat a press. <laughs> just no clue he would like run around guys well that's you're playing right in the defense's hands. so that's my thing is he can be that guy that even though he's not a volume guy which we both agree on that that doesn't mean that you have you can't he can't impact the game and that's where then all of a sudden Lorenzo Styles and Avery Davis and those kind of guys start getting and, and the running backs start getting into more favorable matchups because you can't just double team everybody you know and so that's why I think Braden Lindsey having a big season. And again, when I say big season, I'm not talking about volume. I'm not talking about a thousand yards. I'm not talking about 60 touches. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm saying where his talent finally shows up in in every week where he's going to make a play or two every week where it gets to the point where pretty early in the season, like for me, I'm taking a shot to Braden Lindsey early in the game against Ohio State. Because if he's either open, even if it's an incomplete pass, you have to say, yeah, we're not taking that chance again because next time the quarterback may hit him. You that's have correct. to alter what you're doing. And now all of a sudden that's where things work out, where I want everything. And if you hit it, of course, that's a that's a huge one, right? Because that kind of speed can say defense have to say, yeah, I know this guy isn't a volume guy. He's only on the field half the time because of you know the number of reps he gets. But when he's on the field, we got to make sure we account for him because it uh, Braden Lindsay can do with one catch what it's going to take most receivers to do with three or four. And and that's that's the key. So again, it just adds to all the different aspects of what it takes to have a great receiving core, not just a great player like a Michael Mayer. So I do think this is a big spring for Braden Lindsay because here's the thing. We are both predicting a breakout, Ryan, and we've done so for a while now. But if you go through another spring and he's not that guy, eventually you have to start saying, Okay, we need to we need to think about somebody else stepping into that role we can't keep trying to force feed this when he's just not healthy or not making plays or whatever so it is a big spring for the coaching staff with brain Lindsay, but this is a big spring for brain Lindsay, too he's got to step up and say hey man you're getting the coaching now go do something with it and if he can do that this spring if brayden Lindsay kind of starts being the player we think he can be and michael mayors the player he thinks he can be and then you look at the sophomore class we're going to get into lorenzo here in a second now you start thinking like, okay, this is an offense that's going to be really hard to stop. And now, back to the original point you made, Ryan, now all of a sudden Tom Maurice is talking like, okay, you know what? I've got my whole arsenal now. I can do anything I want now because, because of this. And that could make this Notre Dame offense extremely, extremely dangerous.
2: Yep. Give your give yourself options, man. That's that's what it is. I mean, when when are offensive coordinators at their best when they have multiple players mm-hmm. that they can attack and multiple levels they can attack and multiple things that they can do in the arsenal? Like that's where when you have when you give a coordinator options because I mean I've been on on teams Brian where just weren't very good and like there was like one thing you could do well and outside of that it wasn't great and like you would have. You know, he would have, of course, some parents in the stands that were like, "Why are you running this play over and over again?" It's like, buddy, we can't do anything else. What do you want mm-hmm. me to say about it? Like, mm-hmm. we literally can't. It handicaps some some play callers so much, right. man. So options are the well, key look at the bowl game. game. Yeah,
1: look at the bowl game. I mean, eventually, against a good defense like Oklahoma State, if you can't run the ball, eventually we're going to be able to force enough incompletions that yep. we can we can be, win the game. You know, you like, you like you said, you have to have you have to be able to do a little bit of everything. So, a hundred percent right. And then Joe Wilkins, his role to me, you know, Joe Joe is getting him back is going to be great because he provides leadership.
2: Yes,
3: and I
1: know Braden's a fifth year senior, but I want Braden focus on Braden this this spring. I want him worried about himself and getting his game. Joe can provide leadership, but Joe Joe also should benefit from Chancey Stucky. I don't think Joe Wilkins is a very good route runner either. Uh, he's going to benefit from that a little bit. He's a good athlete. He's a better athlete than his separation would otherwise show, in my opinion. And he's going to have to catch the ball better. That's the other thing. Uh, he's going to have to be a guy that goes out there and 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 makes plays and says, hey, look, when we're going to throw you the ball, you need to break. I mean, I think of like the the drop he had against Syracuse in 2020 and you know, just some other up. He made, made the great play against Florida State for a touchdown, but there's been too many times where Joe just hasn't been able to haul it in. Being a better route runner helps with that because you get a little bit more separation. You're not always c- catching contested throws, but Joe's going to have to step up this spring, Ryan, and make plays. And that's what's so big for him being able to come back this spring is if you go whole spring where you can't really practice, and, and Dion and Lorenzo Styles are getting all those reps. You're, you, you know, Jaden Thomas are getting those reps. You, you may not have a job when you come back. It's mm-hmm. big for him to be able to just compete for a job. But he's got to improve his game if he's going to, uh, you know, be a key part of this rotation this spring.
2: Yeah, and he's one of the few guys, Brian, on the roster, honestly, right now that you say you've seen flashes of winning those contested catches, right? Like those 50-50 balls, and it has not been consistent at all, but he has some length to him. He's very smooth, and there's times where he plucks the football really well. So I want to see, obviously, him take a big step because, I mean, honestly, right now, I don't know if you're depending on Joe Wilkins to be one of the guys this year, right? Like, it seems like, it feels like to me, and it's just my opinion, that he might be in a position where he just gets passed up by a couple guys. But if he's able to take that step and be a player that we think his talent can indicate, then that's a huge bonus to this offense, man. That gives you even more options, because I don't think you're really depending on Joe Wilkins. But if you can, then, whoa, man, now we're working with a lot of options.
1: As a receivers coach, here's how this matters to me. If I got four guys for three spots, they're going to get a lot of work, and by November, they're going to be worn out, right? If I have five or six guys for three spots, and what that means is not just having bodies, right? I can I can have bodies. What I'm talking about is when I put Joe Wilkins, let's say I'm I'm Chancey Stuckey, right? And I look a lot different than Chancey Stuckey, but let's pretend for a second that I'm Chancey Stuckey. And, and or I have his role and I'm looking into it and I'm saying okay I know I can give Joe 25 snaps a game he's not going to do a whole lot in those 25 snaps that hurts my offense because in those 25 snaps I don't have a guy that's that's going to really do any damage to a defense so they're going to give him one-on-ones and just isolate him and take whoever else is on the field out of the game and if he can't do anything except catch the occasional hitch route and things like that then then in those 20-25 snaps if I'm going to play him I have to understand okay we've taken one weapon off the field okay and so, yeah, we may save my guy's legs, but in in games against Ohio State and Clemson and USC and BYU and, and teams like that, that's going to hurt us as an offense. So we may have to up the volume of the of the the, the regulars, right? The, the guys that are making plays. So then by the fourth quarter, my receivers aren't as fresh, right? I need to have guys that if I'm putting you on the field. I know I need to know that. Hey, week, Coach Reese. Hey, you got Joe on the field. What what can I call? Whatever you called last series. He's good. He, he, he he may not be as dynamic as Dion or whoever else, but look, call to place. He's, he knows what to do. He can run routes. He's going to catch the ball, right? So you can still do things with him. Okay. And that's going to be an important thing for Joe is Joe's going to play this year but is he going to be a guy that gives a breather to the guys in the rotation or is he a guy that, that you can say, hey, look, I can take five to ten reps off of Deion Colsey and Lorenzo Styles and Avery Davis because because Joe can play all three spots, in my opinion. I mean, his skill set projects to all three spots. So he may not be the full-time rotation guy, W or X or Z, but he can play each of those in a, in a role. He's a good blocker, and then if he's in the game – You can still run your offense. You don't lose a ton when he's on the field. That's what Joe Wilkins has to prove himself to be, Ryan, because if he's not, then he's going to be a guy that maybe plays a lot against Cal and Marshall and Navy and UNLV and Syracuse, but he's not a guy you're going to put on the field a lot in those bigger games without having some negative consequences, and that's why this is a big spring for Joe. I think he's got it in him Mm -hmm. to be that kind of guy. Where Again, he's not a 70-catch, 1,000-yard guy, but hey, look, you leave him in a one-on-one, that guy better be pretty good because Joe's yeah. pretty good. And I think that's that's what he's got to prove himself to be this spring, right? I don't think he's proven that yet. I think what he's been on film so far is what you had said before, just kind of just a guy, mm-hmm. right? That just out there taking reps and, you know, kind of taking some of the pressure but not a guy that's going to scare you a whole lot. Sure. He need he he can I think he can be better than that. He's going to get the coaching to allow him to be better than that because for guys like him that aren't elite athletes, it's even more important that their technique be sound. Sure, and and so I think that's another guy that should benefit from improved coaching, and then if he if he can pr- build on that part of his game and catch the ball better, now all of a sudden you have a guy like, hey, look, I got no problem putting Joe Wilkins in the game, and giving this guy a breather, that guy a breather, that guy a breather, and we still run our offense, you okay. know, because Joe can play, and yeah. and um, but it's so to me, but it's a big spring because if he doesn't prove that by the end of the spring, to your point, Ryan. They're going to have no problem putting Deion Colsey and Jaden Thomas and Tobias Merriweather or a second tight end, a second back, a third tight end in the field ahead of him because you have enough depth at those other positions that I don't have to play my fifth receiver if he's not doing something. You know, so it's it's a big spring for Joe Wilkins.
2: Well, and I think for both of them, Brian, I want to see if you agree with this. It's like so, like I think of a guy like an Avery Davis for a second, right? Like he could play some. X in this offense right but for the majority you're going to want him to be a slot receiver and there's a couple Mm -hmm. other players that i think are best suited for one spot i think that brayden lindsey could play x he could play in the slot particularly right like he has some flexibility you just mentioned joe wilkins could play all over the place in theory from a skill set perspective so at worst both these players in my opinion could be valuable assets mm-hmm. in the ability to have different alignment possibilities. You can be a little yeah. more diverse in how you line up. And I mean, if Joe Wilkins ends up being a really darn good backup to three different spots, that's fine. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Right. But if he takes the next step, then I mean, it's just right. an added bonus in my opinion.
1: Right. I think he can play all three spots to some degree. I think that Jaden Thomas can play all three spots to some degree. And I think that Lorenzo styles can play all three spots to some degree. And I think there's value to that. And I think Tobias Merriweather, can play both outside spots. I mean, so I think Deion Colsey right now at this stage of his career, I just kind of want him to focus on the W, you know, like I would kind of limit him. Just let's, let's get him comfortable there. Then we can kind of branch him out to do some different things with him. But a lot of those other guys certainly can do that. Sure. So let's talk sophomores, Ryan. let's talk about the sophomore Mm -hmm. class. Mm Mm-hmm. The reality is is for everything we just said about Joe Wilkins and Brayden Lindsay and what we'll talk about Avery Davis more this summer when he gets back into the rotation, You know, those guys are all good players. You can have a good receiving core. with those. If those three guys are your starters, you're going to have a good receiving core with Michael Mayer, if you include Michael Mayer. You, you can have a good receiving core. But if this is going to be a great receiving core or a, 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 a receiving core capable of being part of a championship football team, the sophomore class has to emerge. And I I think at least two of them do now they don't have to emerge as they're your number one and two receivers, but at least two of them have to be one has to emerge as a guy and another has to emerge as just what we talked about with Joe Wilkins, you know, Dion doesn't have to play 50 snaps a game if he's not ready yet, but if we're going to put him on the field for 20, looking at it from a coaching staff standpoint, we need to know that he's going to be able to play and help us and make plays and do all those kind of things. And so the sophomore class with those two plus Jaden Thomas, their their development this offseason is really going to determine whether this is a good pass game or a great pass game. I really believe that. And at the and at the top, Ryan, it all starts with Lorenzo Styles.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, and it, it's it's funny, man. This sophomore class just in general from a wider scope, I know we're just focusing on wide receivers. It's like sick. this. Both the short and long term, man, it is a instrumental class, potentially, not only for this year, but I mean, looking to mm-hmm. twenty twenty three and, and beyond, right? Like it's just so much talent in that class, especially on the offensive side of the football. You mentioned Lorenzo Styles. For me, he is I keep picking him as that breakout star, right? And, and it's, a, it's a little bit of a cheating one because we've seen the glimpses, right? Like we've seen mm-hmm. him already have the moments where you're like, yeah, that's big time stuff. But he really does give you that flexibility where he's a matchup dictator, man. Like you put him in the slot, you put him at Z, you put him at X, like it doesn't matter. You can put him a little bit of everywhere and you can create wherever your matchup you feel like if he takes that step. right, right now, I think we saw last year at worst, he could be a darn good secondary option. But mm-hmm. I think that the ceiling for him is that he could be, when all said and done, the unquestioned number one receiver on this in on this team right now. He could be right.
1: Well, when you look at the bowl game, for example, and the success he had against Oklahoma State, and I just I want to put this in the context of how just how good the receiving core as a whole played in that game when it came to just production. They had three guys go for hundred yards in that game. The entire season, twelve regular season games plus the ball, the the Big Twelve title game, Oklahoma State allowed one player to go over 100 yards. One all year, not Mario Williams, none of them. It was one guy from Iowa State, and and Notre Dame had three. Okay, and Lorenzo's had the most the most production. He had eight catches for 136 yards, but he was a complementary weapon in that game. He wasn't the offense wasn't built around him. It was you know, Austin was making his plays and Mayer was getting a lot of the focal point and they took advantage of Lorenzo with that. And the game was really the ideal shows like what he can be. Like, if you're just going to try to treat this kid as a complimentary player, he's going to torch you. And that's exactly what he did to Oklahoma state. And, you know, he can be that kind of guy. And to your point about the breakout, I mean, yeah, I mean, you could say he had 24 catches for 344 yards, but what we're saying is that a breakout's not 35 catches for 500 yards. A breakout can be similar to what we've seen from past sophomores. I mean, look, Golden Tate went from six catches as a freshman to 1,000 yards as a sophomore. Will Fuller did that. You know, we've seen several guys. equinemi St. Brown went from one catch as a, as a freshman to 50-plus catches for almost 1,000 yards as a, as a sophomore. Would have had 1,000 if they would have qualified for a bowl game. So we've seen guys do that. Chase Claypool went from five catches to a you know in twenty uh, sixteen to to being a you know a twenty plus four hundred catch guy the next year as part of an offense that didn't even throw the ball that much in twenty seventeen. So we've seen guys kind of Im- like have those breakouts of sophomores. And Lorenzo had way more production as a true freshman than all those guys. And so it's certainly the talent is there, and the way he had finished the season, obviously in the bowl game, was impressive. I think the thing that makes him also special and unique is he's a pure receiver. Like Brayden Lindsay's like an athlete and you know but Avery Davis is a converted guy that's learning but Lorenzo is a pure receiver. And what I mean by that is not only can you move him all around but there's so many different things he can do within the offense. He can stretch the field vertically. He's got really good body control. He's got to learn to to he's got to get stronger in order to to win some of those contested catches. Uh, we didn't see him get a ton of chances to do that, but he showed like the the wheel route where they kind of back-shouldered him against Oklahoma State. I mean, he, I mean, he flipped his hips around. Like I was there, I'm watching this route develop, and I, I don't know if the TV – because I, I watched actually watched it yesterday. I don't know if the TV copy does justice to how much he had to flip his hips to get back to that football on that particular play. He can run uh, short routes. He can run he's – a, he's a good – for a freshman, he was a really good route runner. I think there's a lot of room for improvement as he matures. The expectations get higher for him. But he's got a lot of natural route running ability. He can run crossers. He can run drags. He can do the chase routes. He can run stick routes. He can do a lot of different things you want. He showed in the bowl game he can he can effectively catch and then make plays after the catch in the RPO game. He did that too. Was it, was it, was it USC or North Carolina? It was North Carolina where he caught just like a little quick screen, made one guy miss, and just ran for a big play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it was against North Carolina. And he showed that again in the bowl game. So he's got – I mean, there's really nothing he can't do and I think that's what makes him potentially so dangerous because not only can you play him all over, he can run your entire route tree physically and skill set wise. There's nothing you can't say, well, with him in the game, I'm not sure if we want to do that. There's things you don't necessarily want to ask Brayden Lindsay to do. There's things you're not going to, want to ask you know, Avery Davis to do. There's things you're not going to want Deion Colsey to do. There's nothing in your offense that I can think of that you can't ask Lorenzo Styles to do in theory based on his skill set. Sure. And that's going to be the thing for me. And that's why I compared him to Devontae Smith. Again, I'm not comparing him to Devontae Smith as a player. I'm not saying he's going to have 98 catches for 1,500 yards and win the mm-hmm. Heisman. I'm just saying, like, when you look at a guy like that, that you can plug into all three of your receiver spots, and then a guy that can run the like the entire gamut of routes from those spots, it makes it really hard for defenses to defend that guy. Mm-hmm. And that's what I see from Lorenzo Styles. And And even though he's not a real big kid, he's a lot stronger than you'd think. And that's why I think he can be a really effective uh, one-on-one contested catch guy with more experience. And number two, why he's so good after the catch, because he's not going to just come down by the first guy that, you know, hits him in the knee. You know what I mean? He's a, he's a tough kid too. So this is a guy that if, if there's anybody at receiver that I could say, who's going to, who has the best chance to become the guy, right? Like, not like the leading receiver of a group of three, but the guy opposite Michael Mayer. I mean he he's the best option for me and we talked about maybe Deion Colsey could be that guy because of the position he plays and the W in the past has been sort of the volume position but if they if they run the offense the way that I think and hope they do we're gonna see Lorenzo get some stuff in that spot too and that's why I think at the end of the day he's the guy that I that I think has the best chance of really emerging as the guy receiver and if that happens it's going to take a lot of pressure off Michael Mayer. It's going to take pressure off Brayden Lindsey. It's going to take pressure off Avery Davis, off Deion Colsey, off the run game because he's a guy that I'm really looking forward to seeing in some play action. Because if he gets one on ones and if he can just win at the top end of his route or win at the line, you can't run with him. I mean, yeah. he's he he's surprisingly. I don't. I think his speed is deceptive. I think I think he is a big a home run threat. I don't know if he's four three fast. But I guarantee he's four four fast, and mm-hmm. a and a guy like that is is going to be a, a major weapon. So I I think Lorenzo could be the guy that, of all the players we talked about, could be that guy that becomes, the next dude at wide receiver for Notre Dame. You know the the Golden Tate, Michael Floyd, Will Fuller dude, not the T J Jones dude. Like T J was a great player, but T J kind of grew into that by his senior year, and it was more about mm-hmm. he used T J Jones in twenty four was a twenty thirteen was more about savviness and he was a good route runner to get open. He wasn't like that guy's just scaring you the way that right. Tate, Fuller, um, Floyd, those guys did. I think Lorenzo can be more of that than a, than a TJ Jones type of thousand yard receiver. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, no, no,
2: I, I agree completely. And the, the guy, the reason that I keep saying I think styles is going to be that guy is because it, it reminds me similarly, and I'm not comparing them as players because I think they're very different. But this is the reason why I love Garrett Wilson so much in the 2022 class because it's like Garrett Wilson can win as a route runner all day. He can win as an athlete. He just ran four three eight at the combine, whatever mm-hmm. it was. He can also win surprisingly well as a catch point guy down yeah. the field. And then he also can win as a yak receiver. Like when you put all those things together, you literally have a player that can win in every single way and can win at every level of the defense. We're talking about a guy that can un- uh, that can uncover – Short, intermediate, and deep. And I think that's similarly to how I think of Lorenzo Styles. I think that he can win in every single way, kind of like you illustrated on the football field. Mm-hmm. And that guy, for me, if he hits a ceiling, right. that's the best wide receiver potentially because it's right. just there's just not a like it's not yeah, a you can't take wide. him out of the
1: game, Ryan. You, you can't. can't take him out of the game in that regard. If you play all go ahead, yeah. I mean if, if you or can not. play all those positions and do everything out of it, it, it's it's almost impossible to take him out of the game unless. Go back to your original point. Unless you have a guy like a Jalen Ramsey who can just mirror him wherever he goes and he's just better than he is, it's really hard to take him out of the game if if he can do those things. Well, and that was my that was the final point I was getting to. It's like,
2: I mean, in theory, you're like steal your thunder. No, it was it was a really good segue, honestly, because I was just thinking about different cornerback body types for a second. I'm like, okay, let's pick up let's put a big long guy on him that beat him up. Well, he's too quick and he's too good of a potentially of a route runner to be that guy because he can just create a separation. Okay, well, let's put a quick twitch guy. And then he doesn't have the length that maybe he can really stick with him as far as at the catch, putting down the field, tracking the football. So it's really like a double-edged sword, man. Like you just can't – there's no way that you're just going to eliminate every part of his game. He can just win in so many different ways. That's why the the – if he's a I mean if he's a complimentary piece and he hits close to his ceiling with a Michael Mayer, like good luck trying to cover one of those guys one-on-one because there's gonna be a one-on-one at some point with either Michael Mayer and Lorenzo Styles if he hits his ceiling. And if both those guys are playing to their peaks, good luck to whoever you're giving a one-on-one matchup to.
0: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
1: Yeah, it's it's it starts kind of getting fun. And then you start talking about Deion Colsey emerging. And when Tobias Merriweather shows up in the fall, we won't talk about Tobias a a whole lot other than stuff like that now. And I think the Garrett Wilson comparison is very intriguing too, because again, there's some differences in their skill sets and styles, but very similar body types. I mean, Garrett Wilson surprisingly won a lot of one-on-one catches for a guy that's six foot, 185, 190 pounds, right? Like he's not a big guy. Uh, and and you, you kind of look at what he did as a freshman. You know, thirty catches, three four hundred thirty two yards, five touchdowns, fourteen point four yards per catch, and that was in fourteen games. You compare that to what Lorenzo Styles did this last year: twenty four catches, three hundred forty four yards, fourteen point three yards per catch. Uh, also had a couple of runs. I mean, similar similar first year impact. And then of course, Garrett Wilson went out the next year and was was outstanding. Now he. He had 43 catches for 723 yards and six touchdowns, but that was only in eight games because of COVID. I mean, I mean, you project him over the course of a 13, 14-game season, he's well over 1,000 yards as a second-year player uh, and, and probably has 10 touchdowns as a second-year player. And then, of course, this past year, just – I mean – when you consider his production relative to just how many guys they had catching passes, I mean, 70 catches for 1,000 yards and 12 touchdowns. And then they have, what, three guys went over 1,000 yards this year? Did Alave go over 1,000 as well? I mean, I know that uh, Smith and Jigba did. No, Alave only had 936.
2: Uh, Alave actually, weird, weird one there. He never
1: went over 1,000 yards in all yeah. four of
2: his seasons. A little weird of a yeah. out there.
1: I don't find that super surprising. Although, let's be honest, he would have gone over a thousand last in twenty twenty if it wasn't for COVID. Oh, and mean, he had over seven hundred yards won. in seven games. I mean, he, you know, he would have went over this year too if he not for yeah. the
2: injury at some point, right? Because so. yeah. he
1: played what twelve games, you know. Like but that, um, yeah. but that's what happens sometimes when you have that many dudes at receiver. But what made Ohio State's offense so difficult last week is last year was some teams actually did a decent job of limiting how much Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave could do and so what happens Jackson Smith and Jigba destroys you you know i mean it just when you have that many weapons that can not just make plays but like take over a game yeah. it's impossible to defend and that's why we say it's important for other guys to step up now it, it, they can be good if just hey we got four or five guys and if you take mayor out one of them's going to step up but if you know every week that mayor and styles are going to bring it and then it's avery or or braden or Or Deion Coles or Jane Thomas or Tobias can be that third guy. I mean, it's third and fourth guy. It's, I mean, how do you defend that? I mean, it's, it's 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 impossible. Not not only, not only that, because
2: like, I mean, obviously you're talking about like, hey, oh, there's a secondary pass catcher, but also I think of Ohio State. I mean, Travion Henderson had such a, I mean, easy production sometimes because they just, Defenses have to play too high against those types of teams. because, right. like You you just have to keep two safeties deep because you're just like so many weapons. You just can't just keep bringing the extra guy down in the box. You either
1: have to keep two safeties deep or you have to back your corners off and then widen out your linebackers. Sure,
2: yeah. Right, and then yep. you bracket
1: them that way. Either way, it's a huge bust of the run game because one says, hey, we're going to be able to run at you and you fix you your, your safeties. And the other one says, we're going to have a lot of creases, vertical creases, mm-hmm. because you're trying to catch a, fa- a guy that can run like Trayvon Henderson you're trying to have that guy come from over top of number two and catch him on an inside zone. It ain't happening. You know what I mean. And Notre you know, Dame has. You know, that. Who
2: else, you know who else is pretty fast in a uh, backfield setting as well as uh, there's this there's this guy that runs four three What's something. <laughs> um,
1: yeah. Oh, place for Notre Dame. Uh, number 25, Uh Chris Tyree. Yeah, man. Yeah, that guy. Because think about Chris Tyree with light boxes, man. Right. Just dream about it. Just right. About and it. and that's the point is that that's how these guys can impact this offense. I mean, if you're worried about. Braden taking the top off and Lorenzo because Lorenzo's gonna play slot, he's gonna play outside, he's gonna play boundary. You've got to worry about Michael Mayer, and all of a sudden you have to start kind of widening out because Notre Dame's using the RPOs and they're just gashing you, and you're like, Man, we can't keep keep letting these guys get in space and doing these type of things. All of a sudden, that's the one time Notre Dame either you know runs it inside zone and Chris Tyree creases it or that time where, you know, you go 12 personnel and you have your two tight ends backside and they're widened out to the field and they're going to come up and run with your tight ends. And so you run that read zone and all of a sudden Tyler Buckner's pulling that thing outside the back door and there's nobody out there. You know what I mean? And so that's what, that's when I wrote the article the other day, like speed is not going to be a problem for this Notre Dame offense. If this offense isn't productive, it won't because they don't have enough speed. It'll be because of other reasons. You can't tell me an offense where, where Tyler Buckner and Chris Tyree and Brayden Lindsay and Lorenzo Styles and Avery Davis. And I know you've heard things, I'm sure you've heard things from draft people about Avery Davis. I mean, he's consistently running in the four fours at Notre Dame during mm-hmm. his, his last few years. Yeah. You know, you're talking about those guys, and we haven't even mentioned like Logan Diggs and Audric Estimate. I mean, there's a lot of weapons. So you won't be using the whole G, they just don't have enough speed at Notre Dame. You just that's not an excuse anymore. It's, it's when not. when Lorenzo Styles is not your fastest receiver, when Braden when Avery Davis is not in your top probably two or three of speed, you've got you've got some wheels. Yeah, there's no question about it. But guy that I that, that intrigues me the most is Dion Colsey. Mm-hmm. He's super intriguing to me, Ryan, because he it used to be where kind of like he was the normal body type at Notre Dame. Now he's the unicorn on this particular roster, just because of some of the weirdness of how recruiting has been. Uh, but this is kind of, I think this is the kind of receiving core that Chip Long always wanted. And I, and I have come to learn that I think Tommy Reese wants two, where I've got some length on the outside, but it's mixed up with some other speed, you know, where your tight end is your second big guy, not, you know, not the other way around. That doesn't mean you can't have a big guy as long as he can run. We have those conversations and other, other shows about the 2023 recruiting class, but Dion Colsey is, is to me the wild card above all wild cards in this offense, because I, I'm not expecting him to become the guy this year. You know, I just don't. I mean, he could, and that's what we talked about. Like, you know, he could end up having the second most catches if he emerges as the pure, you know, the sure start in the boundary just because of the nature of that position. But, I'm really curious to see what he can do because if, if he can kind of grow into his game and be a legitimate player, you know, like a, a 30 to 40 catch guy, he does, he brings some really interesting stuff to the table, Ryan, with that side. I mean, 6'5, 207. Uh, he can run well. You know, he's not a burner, but he runs well. You know, you got to start dealing with him now because he steps up this spring. So, Of all, I mean, Lorenzo, Braden's got to step up and Lorenzo's got to step up, but the guy that I'm, I'm probably most intrigued by as far as who could have, who could have the most unique impact for me, it's, it's Deion Colsey. Cause if he can break out in that W spot, Ryan, all of a sudden it, it gets real interesting with all the other stuff we talked about
2: because it makes the margin for error just so much bigger, right, with that length. I mean, that's the same thing with Michael Mayer. It's like you don't have to have a pinpoint pass. You don't have to have great ball placement all the time with those types of guys. This is the true 50-50. I mean, people say 50-50, but, like, with those types of guys, it comes more 70-30 in Mm -hmm. most situations, right? So he's – and it's awesome that it's kind of taken the shift a little bit because I feel like for the longest time – there's been a media and there's been a fan side of everything where you're just like, can we get some variety at wide receiver? I mean, we've had towers. Can we get some guys that can make things happen in space? Can we get some burners? Can we get different? And now there is difference. There absolutely is. And there's different body types. There's different skill sets. But you also have a guy like Deion Colsey who fits, fits that traditional W spot mm-hmm. where like, hey – Tyler Buckner, nobody's open, but you got that six five guy over yeah. there that that can win a jump ball situation, yes. that can win contest a contested catch, and that's valuable for a young quarterback because you can trust that guy in a tough situation.
1: Ryan, there's a, a theory that young quarterbacks need to learn, and that is if a guy like Deion Colsey only has one guy on him, he's open. I don't care what the separation or lack thereof exists, he's open. If it's a, any kind of vertical route, like if he's running a, a stop route, a hitch route, and the guy's standing, you know, he's. he's but you said he's always open, right? I mean, there, there needs to be some common sense. If he's running a go route, a post route, a dig route, a drag route, a corner route, and there's just one guy on him, throw the ball up to him. You know what I mean? And to your point, I think you made a great point. So I stole your thunder a minute ago. You just stole mine. I think it's a phenomenal point. He, it, if If teams are focusing on Michael Mayer, Michael Mayer can't be your security blanket. Your security blanket can't be getting double and triple coverage in zones. You need a, a security blanket that can kind of be like, hey, I know this guy's going to probably be in a one-on-one and I can throw it up to him. That can be Deion Colsey. If Deion proves himself to be capable of winning those throws, all of a sudden Tyler Buckner knows I got a one-on-one backside. If they bring pressure, I can just throw a back shoulder to Deion and get out of this thing. And, you know, and he's going to have a chance to make a play where either he catches it or it's out of bounds. You know that that's a great security blanket for a young quarterback to have, and, and on top of some of the other things, the RPO stuff. But if Dion can emerge as, as sort and have sort of the role in this offense, kind of like what like a Javon McKinley had in the 2020 offense, where he's going to stretch the field, even though he's not a burner. I and mean, it's kind of funny, you know, Javon McKinley, you know, ran like what like a four six at Notre Dame's pro day. W- wasn't It wasn't impressive, yeah. but yet he always made big plays in the pass game. I mean, he averaged 17.1 yards per catch in 2020 because he's a big guy that even when he was covered, he was open. And Ian Book understood that sometimes. And I think Dion can be a similar type of player. Like, look, I don't care if he's the guy's in his hip pocket, throw that ball about 10 feet high, throw him an alley oop. I mean, we talk about basketball and stuff like that. And it it, it is, he's your alley oop guy. You know, he's the guy running the fast break, you throw it up. Yeah. Maurice Stovall, man. That's yeah. the guy that comes to
2: mind all the time. Yeah. Brady Quinn, oh, you're in trouble. Let's toss that thing up to Maurice Stovall. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs>
1: like- right. And he had that huge wingspan. And, and uh, you know, Dion is a very intriguing player. Uh, you know, I think the, th- the thing I've been told is, and this was the concern we had coming in out of high school, is he was so much – he went to a, pri- a small private school in Georgia, and they weren't playing anybody, really. And, and Dion thought he worked hard because he was working he was pushing himself but he was just so dominant that it's like you know you don't really know how much better you can be you don't really know how much harder you need to work last year was a growing up experience for him in that regard where it's like you're going against some dudes in practice and you've got some other dudes around you you've got to really understand what you're capable of from a work volume standpoint and what my sources have told me is that's really what this offseason has been about for Dion so far Is like hey you're capable of a lot more but you got to be willing to put a lot more into it and he understands that now which is part of the learning experience for a kid coming from the kind of school he went to and if he can if he can kind of now take that next step and say hey coach throw me the ball I'm gonna catch it I know how to run I know how to get open and have more confidence because that's the biggest thing Dion was lacking on the field last year it wasn't route running and all cuz I don't care about that. Like I said, he can get away with not being a great route runner at 6'5" with a huge wingspan. What he can't get what he can't get away with is not being confident. And at times Dion did not look confident. And that's going to be the biggest thing for coach Stuckey to do with him is, I, "Dude, I don't care if you don't know the route or not. Whatever you run, run it with conviction. And then we'll fix it in the film room or I'll correct you or whatever, but whatever you decide at the snap, I'm make a decision on what you're supposed to run." And whatever you think you're supposed to run, run it with conviction. Because I guarantee you, Ryan, there have been times you've been watching all 22 or you've talked to a coach or a scout, and they're like, that actually wasn't the route he was supposed to run. Yeah, I know it went for a 50 yard touchdown, but that actually wasn't supposed to, route he was supposed to run. But he beat the guy. And I was like, oh, you're going to not throw it to him because it wasn't what he was supposed to do. You're still going to throw him the ball. And that's the thing with Dion is, hey, you're supposed to run a, you know, a, a, a whatever slant route, but you know, the quarterback sees you released vertically and you're open and he's going to still throw you the ball. Whatever you do, do it with conviction. Cause if Dion can play with conviction, but he he's going to, he's going to make play, whether it's 15 catches, 20 catches, 25, 30 catches. It, I don't, I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's going to be impactful. It's going to be 15 plus yards per catch. It's going to be, you know, Oh wow. He, he, you know, they got themselves in a, in a tough spot on third and seven and Nate, and Went one on one with Dion, and he just ran a go route, and they just threw it up, and he outplayed the guy. It's going to be impactful stuff. I don't know if it's going to be a high volume, but it's going to be impactful, and I think that's the, the what I think Dion, if he can play with conviction, I think that's what Dion could bring to this offense this year.
2: Yeah, I mean, he just brings a different element, like we kind of illustrated a bunch. I think he's the biggest X factor in the wide receiver room, because I think, I mean, like, obviously, Lorenzo Styles is going to take a jump like we expect. But I, he, again, he's just more of a closer, like we've seen a little bit more of what the flashes can be. We don't really know what to expect from Deion Coles. We know that he's talented. We know that he's six five, and in theory, we're talking about the ability to win those contested catches and be a safety blanket But until it's tangible, it is still just a projection, right? right? Like he's only caught a couple passes in his career. So four passes in his career. So he is a complete projection, but I mean, this kid could be one of the leading receivers on the team because the talent I think dictates it. And I think he's best fit probably into that W position most naturally. So I think he could take that next step, but he is absolutely, in my opinion, the biggest X factor. If he takes the big step forward, then that's a big sign that it's moving in the right direction at the wide receiver spot.
1: Right. I think the thing with Dion too is it's important for him that other guys step up and he doesn't have to be that guy. That that's the thing. It's like, he doesn't have to be a, you know, Hey, look, cause again, the W has been the, the, I mean, the W this year was Kevin Austin. He led the team in, in receiving yards. You know, the W in 2020 was Javon McKinley. He was their leading receiver uh, in, in yards and tied for catches with Michael Mayer in 2019, their W was Chase Claypool. He was their leading catcher in 2018, the W was Miles Boykin. He was their leading pass catcher. So the W has been that position so far for Notre Dame. I don't think it will be this year. And, but it, those other guys got to step up and take some of that pressure off of him. I think that'll help him too. Cause if he feels that burden of, I got to be this, you know, this thing over here that I, I don't know if, uh, if, if he's going to be that. And I think the thing that people have to understand too, and I've said this before, Dion is a year younger than most of the kids in his grade at Notre Dame. So he he's really should be going kind of into his freshman year from an age standpoint. And the fact that he his kind of his, what would be his 18, 17, 18 year old year was actually as a freshman at Notre Dame is going to, is going to pay dividends for him at some point in time down the road. There's one more sophomore we'll talk about here as we, as we, before we kind of get close to wrapping this up. Uh, and And that is Jaden, Jaden Thomas. Now he's an interesting guy because we've heard a lot about him going back to December. About how he looked great in, in, in bowl prep practices. He's had a great offseason. Jaden's an interesting player, Ryan, because he was banged up his whole senior year. He played with a turf toes whole senior year. Didn't really have the production that he'd hoped for. Didn't have the breakout that I thought he could have after seeing him as a junior. When you know, I liked this film, I did. He wasn't as, in my opinion, didn't have the upside of Deion Colsey and and Lorenzo Stiles, but he's a good football player. And then the injury just he just he got he got some bad weight, which can happen to you when you have a foot injury and you can't, you can't run. I mean, you know, you can't do a lot of things. And so I, I thought that kind of hurt him a little bit as a freshman in Notre Dame. He also kind of was healthy at times, not at other times. He wasn't always around, but since he kind of got healthy late in the year, he's stayed healthy from what we've been told. So he finally kind of worked through some of those things. And he's a guy that a lot of people say he's had a really good off season. And you know, he's a guy that, you know, we compared Dion's role to what Javon McKinley was. And somebody said this in the chat, but in, in our Intel piece that we had, the, I, I believe I put this in that offensive Intel piece we had a couple weeks ago, the, the sources that I have have compared him to Javon McKinley from a direct comparison standpoint, similar body type, you know, similar frame, similar catching ability, but a little bit more fluid athletically than Javon was because Javon had really tight hips. And so you know you, you talk about bringing that to the table and I think and I think the fact that he is more fluid he can do stuff after the that's the thing I loved about Jaden in high school he could take a short route and make people miss and do something with it you know that that leads to him he he can play he has the size at six one and a half two fifteen to play W and, and especially be similar to Javon but he also has the athletic skills in my opinion to help out at Z and help out at X I think he can play all three of those that's also going to add to it and it's also another reason why Joe Wilkins better have a good offseason because if you don't you got a bigger more athletic version of you coming down the bike in Jaden Thomas and ideally you want all of them to step up right but Jaden's an intriguing guy cuz he's going to get a shot this spring and it's going to be a, it's going to be it's it's going to be interesting to see what he does with that you know and um he could be the key to if he can step up and really produce all of a sudden, you're, now that's where your depth, like, okay, now we've got the depth to where we can sustain an injury if you're Notre Dame. We can sustain, you know, a, a guy not panning out because you've got Lorenzo and Braden and Avery and Joe and Jay, now Dion and Jaden and Tobias showing up. Now that's where you, like you said, you said it about Dion. I think it's true about Jaden. Those two guys really having good off seasons really widens that margin for error from what it is right now, which is really razor thin. And it, those guys can be really key to that this spring. I think those guys are, are – the two of them are, you're going to look at and say, okay, one of you has to step up, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. One of you bigger-bodied guys has to step up and, and help this this offseason. Yeah, I know we're not doing
2: superlatives with it, but, I mean, Lorenzo would be my breakout player. Mm-hmm. My X factor would be Deon Colsey. And then my I would give Jaden Thomas my – I have no idea what you're going to do. Like, I have no idea. You could be yeah. just a guy that kind of muddles through a, a backup role. You could be a guy that ascends and you make everybody look kind of stupid, maybe a little bit. Like, and you could be a, a true factor in the passing game. Like, it, it, I have no idea. The the I think the outcomes for a guy like a Jane Thomas – are so volatile. I could see him being a contributor. I could see him getting lost in the shuffle. I could, like, I, I think there's just an endless amount of possibilities for what he can do, which makes it fun, man. Like, I, in my opinion, he's the guy that I'm looking forward to most in the spring from a wide receiver perspective. Cause I honestly, Brian, I don't know what to expect from right. him. I've heard great things. I've seen him, him in also. zero
1: practices at Notre Dame. We've seen him in zero right. games at Notre Dame. I mean, that's, exactly. that's the thing. If Dion's projection, who had four catches last left- year, you know what right. I mean? Like, Jaden is that as well. And that's where, again, that's where Ryan, that margin for error comes in. Because this is all good and in theory. and all, But it it never goes where everything you need to happen happens. It never works that way, ever. Something Somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's not going to stand. Something's going to happen, right? But the more of these things that go right, the better. But with these last two especially, there's just not a lot. There's just not a lot that we can really know and feel right. confident in. To mm-hmm. say, yeah, this guy's going to be able to do A, B, and C, and Jaden especially because we've never seen him do anything in a Notre Dame uniform except stand on the sidelines. So not not a practice, not at anything. Yeah. And that's what makes it tough. Now, hopefully, you'll get a chance to see him in practice on Saturday, right? And, well, and, and it makes, that'll be, it makes yeah. it fun. It yeah. makes it
2: fun though, because yeah. I mean, I mean, those are always the fun things because it's just like you just don't know what to expect, and he could really right. surprise you. He could not, but like. Either way, it's, you're going to be on the edge of your seat because you're just you just you're interested. You just right. want to know the unknown, right? Like you have right. no idea what to expect with him.
1: And the last thing is th- 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 that is interesting, and we'll try to just get to a couple questions here because I know Ryan's got some packing to do because he's flying. He's flying to South Bend tomorrow. So, uh, but um, the tight end battle is going to be interesting because look, the tight end battle is going to go into the fall. Because even if somebody emerges this spring, there's going to be Kane Barong and Holden Stakes and Eli Raritan are going to get thrown in that that battle down the road as well. But this is a big spring, and I think it's even more important for Kevin Bauman. I think if Mitchell Evans needs another couple months to develop his body and his game, it's you're going to be a little bit more uh, – you're going to give him a little bit more rope because he is young. He's just a you know rising sophomore because he is still transitioning into a new position, having been a quarterback in high school, and now he's still learning, and the fact that they love his potential. They're, they're going to give him more chances, in my opinion, uh, to make mistakes. If Mitchell Evans outplays Kevin Bauman this, off- this spring, Kevin Bauman's going to get buried. There's only one other, I mean, it's Mayer's a starter. There's only one other guy he's competing against, and that's Mitchell Evans. If Kevin Bauman can't step up this spring and hold off Mitchell uh, Mitchell Evans, then he has no chance to then go into the fall and and hold off Barong and Stace and Raritan. He's going to be, at best, a third tight end. So if he wants to have a chance to really seal that number two spot as the older player, this is a huge, huge spring for Kevin Bauman.
2: Yeah, no, and, and I'll be rooting for him, man. He's a New Jersey guy, right? So you gotta you gotta yeah. put that little lurty interest into him. But I mean he was a really talented player coming out of high school. I mean like people forget like Michael Mayer obviously was the dude, but Kevin Bauman Mm -hmm. was a very highly regarded kid as well. It wasn't like he was just like a throw in end of the recruiting cycle type of thing. Like he was a substantial recruit as well. And he's a talented kid. He has a good frame. I think he's projectable in the run game. He's projectable in the pass game. His thing has just been injuries, right? Like Mm -hmm. he just hasn't been able to get any momentum because he's just been injured a little bit so Mm -hmm. far in his career. So this is a make or break it year for Kevin Bauman. This is going to be his, Potential to play a ton or it's going to be lost in the lost in the shuffle or maybe he's a transfer candidate like it's going to be either one or one way or the other. I don't see him just being okay with being a a backup type because he's a really talented player who I think has the potential to play on the college level. It's just unfortunately with the circumstances he's been thrown into during his career with the injuries, he just hasn't been able to hold a role in the offense he hasn't been able to gain one unfortunately
1: right because he's been at a deep deep depth chart and that's the challenge now and that's why it's so important that he takes advantage of this opportunity of only having three tight ends in the spring and say hey look you're going to get I mean reps aren't going to be an issue for Mitchell Evans and Kevin Bauman this spring they're not they're going to get plenty of reps the question is going to be more about what do you do with those reps and as you mentioned, and the funny thing is Kevin Bauman's actually has been a better pass catcher than he has a run blocker so far in his career. That's the thing this spring is he's got he's got to get a lot better in the run blocking part because if if he's not the better run blocker, then they're just going to put one of the bigger bodied guys in there at the other tight end spot. They're just going to put Mitchell Evans in there and let him continue continue to develop. But that's the he's got to prove himself that hey, you know what, I'm healthy. I'm I've, I'm now a junior. I've got more weight room strength. I'm going to go out and I'm going to, you know, be that number two guy. Cause the, the number one, number two, and number three responsibilities for the number two tight end are to block <laughs> and pass catchings fourth. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Now, if you're a really good blocker and a pass catcher, they'll use you more as a pass catcher. And one of the concerns with George Takis, even though I I was frustrated by it is the one is he wasn't consistent catching the football in practice. And from what I've heard, I don't think that's going to be an issue with Mitchell Evans or Kevin Bauman. And so I could actually see the number two tight end role maybe even giving us a little bit more production than what we saw from Notre Dame's uh, number two tight ends last year. But a big part of that's going to have to be the spring. They are going to have to – because if, if they don't step up too, not only do they have to worry about losing time to each other, but if they don't have good springs, they're going to lose time to the number two running back, the number three receiver. I mean, that's the other thing, Ryan, is is – the number two tight end isn't guaranteed a spot on the field. It's that they've played number two tight ends in recent years because those guys have brought value to what they're doing, right? And George Tackus was a good blocker. He could do what he needed to do as a blocker. You know, Brock Wright blocked. Uh, Tommy Trumbull's a great blocker that could also do some other things. So you've got to bring value to be be there. And if those guys don't bring value, then they're just going to do more twenty personnel and do more twenty, you know, do more eleven personnel. I think those are the things and maybe even say, look, we got all the speed and our tight ends aren't giving us much. So let's, let's, let's create a 10 package grouping. Right. You know, and, and they may have to do that. I hope they don't get to that point. And the reason you do a 10 package is that's a way to take some of the pressure off Michael Mayer without putting another tight end who you don't trust on the field. Right. As you do some stuff where maybe you go 10 personnel or 20 personnel with three receivers, two backs, and that gives you a chance, you know, you do five, 10 snaps of, of, of 20 and 10 personnel, that's five, 10 snaps that you don't have to have Michael Mayer on the field and kind of wear him down. But you're also not putting a, a guy on the field that who maybe you don't trust if a second tight end doesn't emerge. But hopefully the problem the Notre Dame has is uncertainty about what personnel groups to have because they're so confident in all of them. That's where you want to be. We know we can beat you with 12. We know we can beat you with 20. We can beat you with 21. We can beat you with 11. We can beat you with whatever. That's where you want to be. They're not there yet. Because right now, 12 personnel is, the to me, the bigger question mark. One of those mm-hmm. guys has to emerge in this, yeah. in this competition.
2: You never want to be predictable offensively. Gives you nope. options. Gives you options. That's right. Keep giving options. <laughs>